0: I uh, introduced myself briefly earlier. My name is Chris. Um, For those of you who I've not met personally, um, welcome. Come introduce yourself later. I'd like to meet you. I'm the worship arts director here at Lakeland, which means that I kind of oversee what goes on in this room other than the preaching. Truth be told, uh, I am not a trained preacher. Preaching is not what I do. So if you came expecting amazing preaching today, I'm sorry in advance. Uh, my my formal education, as I have a bachelor's of music education, so which prepared me great to serve as your worship leader here. Um, yeah, that's about all you need to know about me. When I found out that I was going to get this opportunity to speak with you guys today, a couple of weeks ago, um, we had tons of ideas what we might do with this with this service, and we landed on um, my coming up to. Um, talk about worship, which is really the only thing that I could even remotely be qualified to talk about unless you want to hear about a heart attack. So um, I can talk about that. Uh, Okay, so worship. There are many facets and modes of worship. I'm a personal believer in that you can live your entire life in worship, be it private or um, communally, relationally. You can live your whole life in worship. But today, rather than um, giving 14 sermons, and you might get home in time for the Chiefs game tomorrow night, I'm going to just focus on a small slice of worship, and that is musical worship here as the gathered body at church um, at Lakeland. I mean, you could go to other churches, of course, but here at Lakeland, musical worship as the gathered community. That's what we're going to address today. What I have, one well, one thing I have learned in my tenure as a worship leader, both here and going to other places, is that there are many, many, many different um, traditions about musical worship. You know, you can have hymns and chant and rock bands. Um, you can raise your hands. You can be quiet and contrite. Um, you can speak in tongues, roll down the aisle, be slain in the spirit. There's you know all kinds, of, all kinds of ways through worship music that, um, that you can express yourself through praise. What we're going to talk about is not how we do all of those things, but the very nature of worship in that all of those things demand participation. By the very nature of it, they don't happen unless someone's actually doing something. Okay? So participation is absolutely vital to true and authentic worship. In Romans chapter 12, God tells us, give your bodies to God because all he has done for you Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so according to Romans, our true good worship involves giving our entire selves, our whole bodies as a fragrant offering to God. Non-participatory worship, on the other hand, is a lot like RV camping. <laughs> but look, if you drive an RV to a campsite and park it there and enjoy electricity and running water and working toilets, a shower, radio, I've seen satellite dishes on RVs for, t- for TV, air conditioning and a soft bed, you're not camping, okay? It may be a lot of fun and vacation and all that, but it's not camping, so let's not call it camping. True campers sleep horribly, either because it's too hot, too cold, too wet, or you can't stop obsessing about that itch, which you're pretty sure is a tick. True campers reek of smoke for days after you've come home. You ever have somebody show up to the office and you're like, been camping? Okay, it happens. True campers get mosquito bites in places that set your mind ablaze as to how in the world it got there. True campers wake up to the sound of birds at 5.30 in the morning and pray to God that you don't actually have to get out of your sleeping bag to go to the bathroom because it's so cold in the pre-dawn of the morning. I see some nodding heads. You've been there with me. Yeah, RV camping is like the worshiper who says, yeah, I sang a little bit of that one song that I like. It's truly a feeble attempt at belonging, and there's nothing true or pleasing to God about that kind of worship. Instead, we're uh, we're called to offer ourselves wholly and completely to God, and that is true worship. It means actually singing the songs. You may not be a great singer, but singing and engaging with the text of the song It's the prayers of the people lifting up as incense to God. So it's engaging, it's participatory. And so let's explore a little bit why we might be not fully engaged with our worship. Because I'll be honest with you, there are times when I'm not fully engaged. And I'm supposed to be like the pro, the worship guy, okay? But there are times when I'm very much not engaged so let's go through a few of those. Maybe some of them resonate with you, and we can use these to guard our hearts against untrue worship. I've got three, uh, three things. Well, actually, I have three things in a minute. Read the notes, Chris. The first thing that does not fall under the three things, so maybe I have four things. Uh, the, the first thing that I uh, would like to submit to you is that perhaps it's the environment, perhaps it's the worship environment, What we have in modern churches is is wonderful sound systems and theatrical lights with colors and screens and comfortable chairs and acoustically sound rooms, all patterned after the technology used in this world for our entertainment. And there's nothing inherently wrong with these technologies, but I fear, for me personally, I subconsciously switch modes that when I walk into a room like this, I sit down and I take on the posture that I would at a concert where I sit and I'm entertained by the professionals or at a theater where I'm sit and the actors and actresses take me on a journey or in a film where I'm at a movie theater and the great lengths that the movie theater goes to to try to keep you quiet now, (laughs) right? And so my fear is, is that creating a worship environment like this, we just automatically default into a place of entertainment and spectatorship. I don't think we're gonna change any of that. We're not gonna pull down the speakers and dismantle the truss and go back to wooden pews in a stone room. There's nothing wrong with those things. But this is our mode. There's nothing wrong with current modern modes of worship. I just need to examine my own heart and know that when I walk into this place, it's different. When I walk into this place, I am here to participate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst the gathered believers. And so I challenge you to do the same whenever you find yourself being entertained by, wow, that's a great band, that's a hilarious video. Kind of of put your brakes on it and re-engage the fact that we're here to participate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it may be the environment. Now I'm on to my three things. There's another scripture that's very challenging for me about true worship. John, the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus finds himself at a well to draw water, and there's a woman there, a Samaritan woman. And um, Samaritans and Jews were racial enemies of one another. They did not get along. So it's rather extraordinary that Jesus, a good Jewish rabbi, is even having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. But nonetheless, they do. And the Samaritan woman is very bold, begins uh, quizzing Jesus on various issues of theology and whatnot, and so we're gonna jump into the conversation right after she says, so, rabbi, why is it that you Jews insist that you can only worship God in Jerusalem at the temple? In other words, why do y'all think you're better than everybody else? Here's what Jesus says. He replies, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. That's a real loaded statement, and that's a whole other sermon, so don't focus on that one. Focus on this part. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we have instructions from God himself, from the Messiah, saying true worship is in spirit and truth. So perhaps why I'm not, and maybe you're not able to fully engage in worship is we have a spirit or a truth problem. Let's take them in reverse order. Let's talk about truth first. I don't think that's our issue. I'm just gonna spend like a minute dismantling that one. The songs that we sing here, lyrically, content-wise, are by and large true. We don't have any major theological issues. I don't find myself in the seat saying, I am not singing that, because that is not true. Which is a, which is a lovely um, product of the fact that Christian music today um, gets churned out nationally and on a global scale by a machine, a bureaucratic machine, that, that cranks out Christian material. Um, there's good parts of that and bad parts of that. The good part of that is, is that because there's millions of dollars invested into it, there's checks and balances on the content. So when you turn on K-Love and Air one, you're not gonna hear a bunch of crazy stuff. Okay? So there may be some theologically weak things that we could split hairs about. Yeah, that's fine. But I don't think it's a truth problem. I'm not keeping my engagement at an arm's length because of truth. Spirit, then, is what we're left with. As I talked about earlier, there are lots of ways that, um, that Christians worship. Um, anybody here come from a, a charismatic background in church? Anyone? Oh, Ashley, no kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, so the charismatic tradition, if you don't know, um, is, has tons of worship energy. If you go to a charismatic church, it is loud and proud, okay? And they will, they will do things like raise their hand, speak in tongues. You can, like I said, you get splen- uh, slayed in the spirit. There's all kinds of things going on there that I'm not going to comment on whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. Because there's scriptural backing for almost anything. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways that we might hear is the way to worship in spirit. I don't think that's what this passage is about. The methodologies of our worship. I think what Jesus is talking about, why we did the first half of that that verse in John, is Jesus is talking about the decentralization of our experience with the Spirit of God. See, at the time, the Spirit dwelled in the temple. It was physically, tangibly there. And so if you needed to worship the Spirit of God, you had to be at the temple. And Jesus is saying... Just turning our entire understanding, our experience with God on its head and saying, that is not true. The time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when you don't need to worship on this mountain or in the temple. God's worship. We're looking for worship in spirit and truth. He decentralized everything. And so to take that logic one step further, we know that the Holy Spirit is upon us as Christians. We are told that the Holy Spirit descends on us and dwells in us. It's the great counselor for us as individuals and in the community. Scripture describes the Holy Spirit as a wind that blows through the people of God, working, convicting us, comforting us. And if that's true, then we're, we can only say that the Spirit of God has, has ordained our very community He has brought you all here today to worship. I don't think it's an accident that you all showed up to Lakeland Community Church. If you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, you believe that he has drawn you to himself, to God, and therefore in this room. And so I would say that worship in spirit is to worship in our context. Because the Spirit has ordained this context. Are you tracking with me on this? Our context, our Spirit-ordained context, is not that we are a humble, impoverished church in Mexico. We're not. We are a middle-class American church here, now. The Spirit is here. The Spirit is ministering to us in a relevant, contextual way. This runs into our worship because I think that much of the worship that is published and happens in churches, are not, much of it is not contextual. It, just, it does not line up with the ministry of the Holy Spirit here and now. And there are three categories of non-contextual worship that I need to guard my heart against and I hope you will too. There may be many more categories, but I'm going to just talk about three. So let's pull back the curtain a little bit and say, well, this might not be why I'm engaging, because that's just not really how the Holy Spirit's ministering to us. So let's guard ourselves against that. The first category is uh, worship that is individualistic. Okay, as I said before, there's so many iterations of worship. And individual worship is one of those things. There's a song that I love by David Crowder called Only You. The chorus is I will worship you Lord only you Lord which is fine it's I it's personal but I'm not really caught up on that it's the bridge and it's just you and me here now only you and me here now no it's not it's not it may be just you and God in your car Or in your garden or in your kitchen while you're doing the dishes or whatever the case may be in your private worship that's a wonderful song but here the Spirit has drawn us together for a purpose we are here communally to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit and so why then would we in our worship nail ourselves down it's just you and me here God only you and me here God like that's that's silly I, I can't, I have a really hard time singing that song now because it ignores the reality that God has, that has knit us together in this one precious hour a week. And it's not to say that we'll never do that song because there are moments in this service where we coach individual stuff, like where we do journaling or we do silent prayer or whatever, and that's, that's for teaching. You have to learn somewhere how to engage with God outside of this experience, but for the most part, our narrative is that we are gathered people. So individual worship is a a barrier for me. The second barrier is on the next page. It's surrender worship, surrender worship. No one's gonna argue that being surrendered is a bad thing. We should endeavor to be fully surrendered to God in every moment of every day, we should. The problem in our worship becomes when our worship is declarative, about a fully surrendered spirit. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior, I surrender all. Well, I don't do that either. If the song said, I want to surrender all, or God help me surrender all, and having trouble surrendering all, that would be so true to my context and true to your context. But I look around and I know that if you're like me, you have not yet surrendered all. And I don't say that as like an indictment. I say that because if we are worshiping in spirit, we are mindful of the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ, and the way that the spirit is ministering to us. If our guests today in this sanctuary were women from Liberia who are suffering from fistula, who we partner with because they can't get medical care, or a poor family from Annapur, Mexico, who struggles with hunger constantly, or um, a house church gathering of Chinese co-workers who are under the oppression of communism, or orphans from Haiti, all of these people we minister to, part of the global body of Christ, if they were sitting right over here in this section and we ministered to them, and we were hospitable, and we prayed for them, all that's good, well done. But then I sing, I surrender all. Standing next to them, when I know and they know that there are still parts of me that are locked up in little tiny prisons of self-indulgence. It is an affront to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who might be compelling you to do something different, to then proclaim that you have surrendered fully. So I can't worship in that way, and perhaps that's a barrier for you too. The, the third category, which I think is a barrier, is a narrative for us as a body of desperation or being poor and oppressed. And I, I'm desperate for you. Okay, it's again declarative about something that frankly has only been true a couple of times in my life. I would like to feel desperate for God in every moment of every day. But I bet most of us aren't. There have been a few times in my life where I felt utterly alone, in pain, sick, injured, I've had awful seasons of my life where I felt desperate for God. And that might be you today. It might be. That might be the narrative you're in right now. And if it is, I want to say that that Lakeland is a place of compassion and patience and grace and love. You are welcome here in whatever circumstance you find yourself and I would never want to alienate you by saying that this is a community who's never desperate for God because that's not true that's not true as an overarching context in our worship however we have to guard ourselves against taking on the mantle of desperation and hopelessness when that's just not the case for the most part in my life I feel blessed. I'm in pretty good shape. But if I take on this narrative of being poor and oppressed and desperate, then I have sacrificed my mode of worship that should be devoted to gratitude for a narrative that's not true for me. And so often I can't engage with songs about being poor and oppressed and desperate for God. And quickly on the flip side of that, a quick note here. The the, sort of the opposite side of the poor and oppressed narrative is one of victory and dominance. There's a song right now by Chris Tomlin. um, Our God is greater, awesome in power. God, you are higher than any other. You guys know this song? Have you heard this? Okay, great song. It's totally true. God is awesome. He is greater than any other. He is victorious. It is totally true. So it's not wrong. But we have to be careful about what our narrative here is because the reality of the fact is, we are, we are a wealthy people, we are a healthy people, um, we are a strong nation with a strong military. We're basically at the top of the food chain. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit, if it's ministry to us is not so much, God, you are greater than every other. We're at the top of the pile. You are greater than any other, yeah. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's narrative to us is not more, God, you have blessed us. Now, how may we bless others? How may we serve others? I believe the Holy Spirit ministers to people in their context, and our context is, we are positioned well to serve, not to dominate. Jesus, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples were, serve one another. If you don't, you have no part in me. And so while that song, Our God, is true, perhaps we would be better in the context of service and humility. Okay, so those are three contextual problems that I find in worship that makes it difficult for me to engage. Surrender worship, a narrative of being poor and oppressed, and individualistic worship let's quickly talk through three truths, no, three, three times two, six truths about what what is right about our narrative here, what is contextually true, how the Holy Spirit may be uh, uh, ministering to us through our worship, so that when they come up in worship, you can lean into them and say, yes, this is us, the Spirit has something to say, let's do this. Okay, truth number one, we are sinners. Okay, that's sort of a no-duh. We all fall short of God's dream for our lives and how we operate with ourselves and one another. We all fall short. So as we are sinners, confession is always a theme that we can lean into in worship. So look for confession. Number two, we need God. If you're like me, you came to a place in your life where you realized that if you were calling all the shots totally independently of, of, of of a divine leader, that it was not gonna go well. We need God, and so therefore, worship that is declarative of our desire for God's leadership is always appropriate, regardless of of what position you're in. So, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power. That's very contextual for us. Number three, we are redeemed. The truth of the matter is, Christ has done the work, and we are no longer slaves to sin. We are redeemed, and therefore worship that is declarative of hope is always good. You alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave. Always good. Number four, we are part of God's beautiful creation. Scripture tells us that God created the heavens and earth and everything in it, and that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. We are made in his image. And we look around at the beauty and the majesty of creation and it is all a sign of God's majesty and glory. Scripture tells us the mountains bow down and the trees cry out in praise and hope and expectation for the returning king. And so as we are a part of that, praise through the signs is always good. From the highest of highs to the depths of the sea, creations revealing your majesty. As always true. Truth number five, we are blessed. We are. As I alluded to before, as a a group narrative, we are wealthy, we are in good shape, we live in relative peace, unlike some of our global neighbors. And so the fact that we're blessed leads us to worship in gratitude. Gratitude is always good. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. Where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. And finally, number six, we are called to compassion. Isaiah chapter 58 says, God is telling us, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. You can, for these purposes, we can interchange worship with fasting. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. The fact that we are called to compassion means worship in intercession is always right. Compassion is an interesting one. I'll spend just a minute more on compassion because the Holy Spirit, when it works in the body of Christ towards compassion, I promise you that compassion will always move you. If you endeavor towards compassion, you will never stay in the same place you are, whether you're on the mountain or in the valley. If you are on a mountaintop spiritually and emotionally right now, The spirit will convict you towards passion and it might drag you kicking and screaming off of that mountain. But it's what we do as followers of Jesus is live in compassion. And the same is true if you're in the valley and you're scraping and clawing to get out of that valley, surrender to God and go to compassion. Compassion will move you out of that valley. And so our worship through intercession You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in me. You lift us up on wings like eagles. Those are the six things that we know we can lean into to worship in the contextual spirit of God. And so how will we do that? That was sort of the what, what we're going to sing, what we're going to pray. How will we do that? We talked about participation. Participation means actually singing the songs. Even if you're not a good singer, join in the spirit of God and the communal voice that is raised up like a fragrant fragrant offering. And don't just do it. Do it with zeal. Revelation chapter 3. God says, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'm gonna tell you what, as a worship leader up here, if you sit in your chair with your hands folded and you don't sing a word, hey, that's totally cool. I know in that moment that you have not declared Jesus as your leader. You are not engaged with the work of the Spirit. I'm not thinking bad about you, I'm glad you're here. You sit there and do that, and you be honest about your spiritual place. Don't sing untruths. Don't do that. At the very least, open your hands and pray to God that he might reveal himself to you. That's cool. On the flip side, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you sit there with your arms folded and you don't sing, well, that's not why you're here. That's not why God endeavored for you to show up. We show up for this precious hour on Sunday to participate in the ministry of the Spirit. So participate, whether you're feeling it or not. The Spirit may surprise you. So be be not lukewarm be hot or cold and worship with zeal. And in that light, I would like to invite my friend Liz to come up on stage with me. Hi Liz, come on up. I told Liz or I asked Liz actually earlier this week, Liz, will you help me out with my message this week? And she said yes, and I wouldn't give her any more details. So I'm about to, come on up, all the way up, in the lights, yeah, over there. And, and so I haven't given her any more details, so let this be a lesson to you. If I come to you and say, hey, can you help me out on Sunday? And then I don't give you any details. <laughs> know that this might happen. So here's the deal. No, come on down, Liz. You don't, you don't need to sing or anything. <laughs> come on down, Liz. Um, Liz's birthday was yesterday. Okay? Liz was 29 yesterday, Uh, again, okay, Liz's birthday was yesterday, and so to pull back the curtain completely, um, it was Liz who we sang happy birthday to earlier, and I confess to you, or or I profess to you, that it was lame. It was awful, and I attribute that to the fact that one, the receiver of the happy birthday was not present, and two, you don't understand what happy birthday means. Let me tell you, Liz is an extraordinary, extraordinary person. Liz is the pastoral assistant here, has been on staff for almost as long as I have. Um, That's a long time. Liz has kept this church together, and we would not be here today without Liz serving day in and day out. Liz has one of the most incredible, compassionate soft hearts of anyone I know. When people walk, here, walk in here off the street who can't pay their bills, or can't put gas in their car, and they come and they ask for help, Liz always just helps and doesn't judge. I can't say that for me. Liz has cared for friends and family who have journeyed through cancer. She personally ministered to her Aunt Grace in her twilight years, in the nursing home. She has been the very hands and feet of Jesus Christ to countless people. And here's the deal about Liz. What we know about God means that Liz is a unique person who is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. There has never been a Liz Trotta. There is not one in seven billion. There is not another Liz Trotta, and there never will be. That is the spiritual truth to Liz Trotta. So it is incredibly miraculous that we're blessed with Liz Trotta. Okay. Furthermore, furthermore, here's where you don't understand happy birthday or just haven't thought about it. Happy birthday is an interesting tradition for us because we sing. It's the only tradition where we raise our voice to someone and it's not because they graduated from high school or they got married. Happy birthday is raising our voice to someone because they exist, because they were born. When we sing happy birthday, we're saying, I'm so glad you exist. I'm so glad you're here to bless my life. And so the zeal that we ought to take on when we honor someone's very existence who is a blessing to us should be that of clapping our hands, stomping our feet, and singing at the top of our lungs. So we're going to do it again. Stand up and let's do this thing the right way. If our zeal is that for Liz Trotta, and it should be, imagine then how our zeal should be for the creator and sustainer not only of Liz but for all of us. God Almighty who created all the heavens and the earth and his infinite goodness and creativity. The God who frees us from ourselves, who promises eternal life. The God whose scripture tells us one day when he comes to reign, will wipe away every tear that ever was and put it to rights. And that God is present Just as before when you sang happy birthday, it was to some anonymous thing, we are not worshiping to an anonymous, absent thing. We are worshiping a present, powerful, good God whose spirit is blowing like a wind through the room. And so may may you lead your life in zeal-like worship to God every day, every moment, and when we gather together, may you be mindful of the community and the ministry of the Holy Spirit here in this room. And may may the peace of the Lord Christ now go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the very wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors.